Welcome to the Practicing Clinicians Exchange podcast, six-episode series in emergency use authorization in COVID-19. This is episode number three, part two of What's Available Inpatient. I'm your host, John Hardesty. I'm a physician assistant with Colorado Springs Pulmonary Consultants. In this episode, we'll be talking about the efficacy and safety of steroids, tocilizumab, baricitinab, plus remdesivir, and also we'll be talking about COVID-19 and pregnancy. With me today is Dr. Paul Alwater, Professor of Medicine and Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. This program is provided by Practicing Clinicians Exchange for 0.25 ANCC and AAPA credits. The program is supported by an educational grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. To receive credit for this program, go to pce.is forward slash COV19. Our learning objective is that at the conclusion of this podcast, you, the learner, will be able to summarize efficacy and safety evidence for inpatient COVID-19 therapies with an EUA. And welcome, Paul, and thanks for joining us. And we're going to get started by talking a little bit about steroids and in particularly dexamethasone and the recovery trial and possible use of other corticosteroids in treatment of COVID-19. Yeah, John. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. You know, we're we're going to discuss the so-called immunomodulators uh, in this podcast. Uh, these uh, drugs uh, we are focusing on often in the second week of COVID nineteen illness, uh, when there's that uh, hyperinflammatory response, people have marked elevations in C-reactive protein, ferritin, perhaps interleukin six, if you happen to measure that as well, uh, and the initial strategies to reverse this uh, and halt progression to, for example, ARDS had been a real focus. Now, I I think so many of us were surprised uh, at the recovery trial and dexamethasone. Now, first, steroids have been used uh, in critical care for many years with a really checkered track record. But this large pragmatic trial performed in the United Kingdom uh, demonstrated that there was a 36% reduction in mortality uh, if patients who were mechanically ventilated got dexamethasone. So this was the first drug that clearly showed a mortality benefit. But a lot of people have said, well, you know, the United Kingdom has the highest 28-day mortality rate in the world nearly with 41 percent of patients who were on ventilation in the UK early in the pandemic died. I mean, this was really substantial. And that lowered down to 29 percent. But even if you were not as ill and required uh, oxygen, uh, that this uh, lowered your uh, percentage of dying by about 3 percent, still statistically significant, since this was such a large trial of over 6,000 patients. So I think this really reinforced that dexamethasone does have utility that seems to be uh, most prominent in the ICU, but we use it on the floor too, often in combination with remdesivir, as we discussed on our earlier podcast. Uh, Other uh, corticosteroids have also been studied uh, 
methylprednisolone, um, uh, hydrocortisone, and so on. And those trials are smaller, but also seem to uh, uh, push towards a positive benefit. So uh, I think this is real, but the degree of magnitude of improvement might be less in other settings, such as the United States. And I, I think it's a really specific thing that we need to point out too, which is what the studies are showing. The benefit of dexamethasone is in patients who are requiring supplementary oxygen, ventilatory support. If you get a patient who's even you know on the floor without any supplementary oxygen or uh, as an outpatient, there's no benefit to dexamethasone starting in, the, in that population. And yeah, that's that's a key point. I, I think many people heard this is a you know a trial that dexamethasone is helpful for COVID, but didn't quite read the the finer print. So I've seen outpatients get dexamethasone, and what we know from the recovery trial is those that were not on oxygen actually had a trend towards worse outcomes. Right, and and I think we really need to let's really promote that point here because uh, you know I've seen. I have plenty of my colleagues and I've seen this many times is uh, everyone here's steroids are working. So what we love to do is we love to hit people with steroids, no matter what, which probably drives infectious disease nuts. <laughs> well, especially uh, if you're giving it in that early antiviral phase, right? You're probably just going to blunt an immune response that's needed to help clear the virus. So that's perhaps one mechanism for worse outcomes. You're right. John. Sure. You've, you've never seen a happier group of pulmonologists when they found out that steroids work. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think it's, it's really good that, um, we actually are using a, a tool that's that's working, and right now we're um, primarily doing six milligrams of dexamethasone daily for um, a. Now it's varying because some people are doing a, a six to seven day period or versus a ten day. So what is what is the standard of what we should be giving when it comes to dexamethasone? We we tend to uh, halt it, I think, when uh, they no longer require oxygen or if it's uh, 10 days. Uh, so that's, you know, I, I think we're variable. It could be halted earlier, but we don't want to continue it beyond 10 days because then you're probably getting more into a fibrosis situation or secondary infections if patients aren't improving and still in the ICU. So Paul, one of, one of the last things I want to touch on with steroid uses that I've seen on the uh, inpatient setting is everyone heard dexamethasone was working. So now I see... Um, other steroids being used? Are they equally as effective or should we just stick to dexamethasone? Yeah, John, personally, I would stick with dexamethasone. It has the most solid data. Other steroid preparations have been used. Uh, I think if you have a rationale, uh, feel free to try to dose it equivalently or uh, look at one of the trials that have used your favorite steroid and try to use that dosing if it's a positive trial. Great. Thank you very much. All right. And um, the next item in this podcast that we wanted to address was uh, COVID-19 in pregnancy. This is definitely something that comes up. And actually, I think we see this both on uh, kind of, at least from my perspective, I see this in my patient population. And I see this in uh, some of my colleagues, as well as uh, nursing and some of the PAs, NPs, and physicians I'm working with, I've actually encountered all of that group who's experienced pregnancy during this pandemic. Yes. Uh, so uh, I think the issue with pregnancy, of course, uh, we, we, we have it right after the dexamethasone 
uh, discussion because that's probably where we have the clearest information. So if someone might fit criteria for steroids, if someone's pregnant, I know our obstetricians hate using dexamethasone because it accelerates fetal lung maturation. So if they don't want the fetus's lung to mature, uh, they would suggest using other preparations such as hydrocortisone or uh, methyl prednisolone, which doesn't cross the placenta as well or is more rapidly metabolized. So I think that's the, the key difference. Now, the other drugs for pregnancy, I think, are individual risk-benefit discussions with the, the uh, team caring for uh, the pregnant woman, as well as the obstetrician um, and the patient, of course. Uh, remdesivir has been used. Tocilizumab has been used. In fact, it's been used in uh, patients who uh, have had uh, pregnancy and rheumatoid arthritis. So there's limited information, but I, I think that's harder to make any uh, clear-cut recommendations. And unfortunately, I think we're you know in a situation where we're going to have to work with the uh, obstetrician and um, all the other members of the care team to make a way a decision benefit versus risk in the care of the patient. How sick is mom in this situation? Uh, how far along is she in the pregnancy? And um, what is the safest option, but also taking into account that, um, you know, COVID-19 itself is the threat to the pregnancy. So, yeah, I, I think you've touched on those relevant issues that we've had in discussions regarding pregnant patients. And it, it's not straightforward, but we usually come to a consensus. Great. All right. Um, moving on, um, tocilizumab, a, a new medication kind of hitting the sort of arena of tools that we can use in COVID-19. It's been seen and studied in the IMPACTA trial, the, the REMAP-CAP trial and recovery trial. And uh, you want to tell us just a little bit about tocilizumab and where its uses are and where you think it's going to go? Yeah, John, tocilizumab is, an, I think, an interesting story as we're now well past uh, 16 months into the pandemic. Uh, just for background, remember, this is a monoclonal antibody that's directed against interleukin-6 receptors and, and got a lot of press right in the earliest part of the pandemic in January of in February of 2020, because the Chinese COVID guidelines at the time recommended it, because it was thought to inhibit the cytokine storm, the uh, hyperinflammatory response that COVID-19 causes in some individuals. But then there were at least four trials where it was used as monotherapy for as an anti-inflammatory, and those uh, trials were all a bust. So although we used it a bit early on in the pandemic in our hospital, it really fell out of favor by the summer, and we weren't using it at all. But then the three trials you just mentioned really, uh, I think, have uh, changed minds, but it's been very confusing because we've used it, we've stopped using it, and now uh, on the basis of these three trials, uh, IMPACTA, REMAP, CAP, and recovery, um, there's some interesting information that it may have a niche for use. So before we talk about that niche for use, I just want to touch on a few things that you just said. First, um, not everybody listening may truly understand what, what exactly is a monoclonal antibody. So can we just clarify what is a monoclonal antibody and, and how that's created? 
Yeah, so monoclonal antibodies, uh, you might be familiar with rituximab or infliximab. These are man-made antibodies that are usually directed against a, uh, an active molecule that the body produces. So uh, a monoclonal antibody against interleukin-6 receptor, uh, and there's not only tocilizumab, there's another product as well uh, made by a different company. Uh, so these uh, target and bind to the receptor and uh, generally uh, will block the mechanism of activity of interleukin-6 uh, in terms of promoting inflammation. And interleukin-6 is an inflammatory cytokine. And we're actually starting to see maybe some genetic correlation between patients who have a higher proportion of interleukin-6 and them doing very poorly when they get infected with COVID-19. So um, with that said, talk to me a little bit about this, the niche of where tocilizumab is going to fit within our treatment protocols. Yeah, John, the difference is that these later three trials were done after the dexamethasone recovery trial. So tocilizumab was added on top of standard of care. And in each of these three trials, over 80% of patients also got steroids. And if they didn't get steroids, they didn't improve, interestingly, when you looked at subgroups. So you needed the combination. And if you got tocilizumab and the combination, there was an added benefit. For example, in REMAP-CAP, what it uh, showed was that there was a 10-day improvement in organ-free survival, but it was limited to people that were progressively ill. They were on high flow oxygen, or they were in the first day of ICU care. So they weren't just on low flow oxygen on the floor. They were getting worse. They were just entering that hyperinflammatory phase. So if they were on steroids and you added tocilizumab, there was an improvement and there was also a mortality benefit. The recovery trial, the pragmatic trial we discussed earlier, also had a tocilizumab arm. Now, this trial is a little different. It also gave it to people on low-flow oxygen. But the greatest benefit was really uh, driven by people that were progressing to invasive ventilation, and there was a mortality benefit. And this is a single dose of this uh, monoclonal antibody, and it appeared to reduce the time from discharge to from over 28 days to less than 20 days. So again, it looked like people recovered better, and at least the REMAP-CAP study showed uh, benefit in terms of uh, mortality uh, and survival. And then we, uh, the third trial, the IMPACTED trial, also decreased the time to mechanical ventilation or death. And those, again, were in people that seemed to be on this high flow oxygen. They were getting worse. So they were probably around day seven, day 10 of illness. So it looks like tocilizumab plus dexamethasone uh, might be useful in that rapidly progressing group. And, and the NIH COVID-19 guideline has come out and, and recommended that you may consider using the drug in that particular situation, that niche. So we've seen that COVID-19 is a hyper-inflammatory state, that they, they get infected with this virus, their bodies become hyper-inflammatory, and dexamethasone is sort of a, a broad shotgun of anti-inflammatory, whereas tocilizumab really focuses on IL-6. And patients who may have a higher proportion of IL-6 than the average are going to do worse. And so it makes sense that if we've, we're, we can kind of hit them with something more strategic like tocilizumab as well as something broad, dexamethasone. And it sounds like we're actually seeing an improvement and that's um, you know, probably going to be where our treatment protocols kind of go. 
Yeah, I think so. I think people are still a bit confused by tocilizumab, but if you're have a patient that's getting worse, adding it for someone that might be uh, non-invasive or high flow oxygen, um, they have elevated markers of inflammation where they land in the ICU for that first 24 hours. It looks like this drug is is definitely worth the consideration. Okay, great. And uh, lastly, let's talk just a little bit about um, the combination of baricitinab plus remdesivir. In our last podcast, we spoke about uh, remdesivir, but um, they did, and remdesivir was uh, studied in the ACT-1 trial, but baricitinab plus remdesivir was the sort of focus of the ACT-2 trial. Can you give us that story? So, John, the baricitinab story, I think we don't quite know uh, its place yet fully, and there will be more to the story. But the FDA uh, gave uh, an EUA for this uh, all the way back in November based on this ACT-2 trial. And this was a trial of remdesivir and baricitinib compared to just remdesivir alone. And the overall primary endpoint was that there was only a one-day difference between the groups. So the baricitinib group uh, improved uh, 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 one day faster, seven days versus eight days. Uh, But importantly, there was a subgroup in this study that was on high-flow oxygen that improved faster, 10 days versus 18 days, almost like the tocilizumab story. But at the moment, uh, I think none of us really know where its role is. For example, the NIH has come out and said to only use baricitinib if for some reason corticosteroids are contraindicated. Baricitinib is a JAK1, JAK2 inhibitor. It uh, suppresses inflammation. It's used in rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, personally, I've never used it. There may be a, a, a particular patient that could benefit. However, uh, there is uh, a new trial uh, that will soon be published that's purportedly showing with only press release data to have a role when the baricitinib is combined with steroids. And if this is true, it may be very similar to that tocilizumab and dexamethasone story I just mentioned. Also, ACT4 is soon coming to a theater near you. ACT4 will compare remdesivir and baricitinib versus remdesivir and dexamethasone in a head-to-head trial to see which, which compound might work better. But as we're beginning to learn, it's possible additive anti-inflammatories, immunomodulators may have roles. So as always, quite a moving target, John, uh, with COVID-19 therapy. This kind of brings us to the close of this podcast. And if I could just summarize uh, a few points that you made, uh, Paul, the um, main thing is that we're talking about here is that these are immune modulators and uh, anti-inflammatory features of these medications. So with dextamethasone, we've seen a clear uh, benefit to patients who are sick, probably within the second week of the illness, they're on mechanical ventilation, and we're using sort of a, a broad sweeping uh, anti-inflammatory medication. And then moving on, we talked about pregnancy and how we may use alternative steroids such as methylprednisone or uh, hydrocortisone, but this is really a discussion with the uh, obstetrician and the entire care team as to risk versus benefits for mom and baby. We touched on uh, tocilizumab as uh, a monoclonal antibody that focuses very specifically on the anti-inflammatory feature of suppressing IL-6. And then uh, finally, baricitinab, which 
uh, is a JAK1-2 inhibitor and inhibits the inflammatory cascade. So um, I think right now we've got some solid evidence on using dexamethasone. We're uh, also seeing if we combine dexamethasone plus tocilizumab, uh, we're seeing a very broad as well as specific uh, uh, attack on the inflammatory system. And uh, baricitinab sounds like the uh, jury's still out on that one, and we're going to hear more about that later. Please be sure to tune into our next podcast, a look at EUA outpatient therapies. We'll discuss the efficacy and safety of combination monoclonal antibody therapy for mild to moderate COVID-19 infection. We'll also take a look at the evidence from the associated trial. If you haven't already, please be sure to tune in to the other podcasts in this series at pce.is forward slash COV19. Also, don't forget to claim your CME slash CE credit at the same web address, pce.is forward slash COV19. Thanks again for joining us today.